Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Real Vision, the Defiance Weekly Collabcast. Normally, I would commence proceedings with some gleefully flippant verbal volley, but given what's going on in the world, it doesn't really seem appropriate. Joining me from the other side of the pond are Real Vision's Ash Bennington and the Defiance Camilla Russo. And of course, the story that's been like everywhere is, of course, Ukraine. And Camilla, we've had some really interesting developments from our side in terms of communities banding together in various different ways to help support the Ukraine in the middle of all of this. Can you give us an outline of some of the things that you've seen from the kind of DeFi and, and crypto side? Because it's been pretty interesting the last week. Yeah. Um, so I think it, what the Ukraine crisis um, has started to show is that censorship resistance and decentralization um, really matters. It's like people forget how much it matters until something really uh, dire happens. And that's uh, where we're at at the moment. Um, we've seen how crypto has helped both Ukraine and and, and potentially uh, individuals in Russia um, maintain their uh, their savings um, and um, and get around uh, to uh, have uh, permissionless global transfers and get around to um, uh, you know censorship uh, from the international banks and 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 um, and sanctions. Um, so you know the, there is kind of a, um, a a positive way of 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 looking at, at how crypto is being used, um, and and that is how people have been rallied together uh, in support of Ukraine. And so it it comes from it, like just officially Ukraine putting out their crypto addresses for donations. Um, and millions of dollars have been raised in in both Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then uh, there's this whole story of other uh, crypto founders jumping on that thread, and and for example, Gavin Wood saying you should add a, a Polkadot address, Justin Sun um, demanding Tron to be added as well. Um, so everyone wants to kind of be there in support uh, for Ukraine. Um, and so far, what was the, the latest numbers? Uh, I think it was um, over. They've like, raised. They, they've raised yeah, about. Four, four, they've raised about forty million. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And what, what's interesting here is that there've been various different mechanisms that have been set up. There've been various DAOs. So there's the Ukraine DAO that Pussy Riot set up. They sold an NFT, a one of an one of an NFT, and it actually finished today. I, I was tracking it as it happened. The bid for it, the final bid was 2,173 ETH, which is around $6.3 million for a one of one. So they raised that. Uh, Unchained Fund is another one. Actually, one of the multi-syncs on the account is actually someone I used to work with at Harmony, 
um, Nick Vasilic. Uh, I was sort of surprised to see his name on there. It's, it brings it home when it's real like that. These are people you've worked with and suddenly they're in this situation, they're raising money. What, what's really interesting about all this is the speed at which it's happened, but also some of the other things that have happened as well. For instance, the Ukraine asking exchanges to freeze Russian and Belarusian crypto accounts, which seems completely counter to the spirit of crypto in the first place. So it, on the one hand, we've got like all this positive stuff, but also we're really getting to the heart of what decentralization actually means in real time. It's, it's really fascinating to see it play out. And Ash, I'm curious what it's like from, from your viewpoint. Um, what, what have you seen? What's, what's struck you here? Well, you know, Robin, first of all, you and Cammy are spot on as always. I've been reading uh, the defiant coverage of this. You guys are doing an incredibly granular job. Look, our remit is to talk about the role of digital assets, uh, but I think it's first important to talk about the fact that what we are seeing right now is civilians uh, in harm's way in the heart of Europe. Uh, this is a horrific humanitarian crisis. Uh, we see uh, people in Kyiv, in Kharkiv, and other major cities in Ukraine uh, subjected to uh, shelling, residential buildings being hit by rockets uh, in the heart of Europe. Uh, this is a, a significant uh, geopolitical situ situation uh, that we're witnessing unfold here. Obviously, uh, the most serious conflict in the heart of Europe since World War II. Uh, obviously, the former Yugoslav republics fought a very bloody uh, de facto civil war in the 1990s. Um, but this uh, nuclear-armed superpower potential proxy war uh, is something that is incredibly uh, potentially destabilizing to global security. Uh, with that said, to pick up on the points that you both made, uh, I think incredibly important to, to talk about the way that digital has changed the nature uh, of the way that wars are fought. Right now, we are seeing the first ever social media war uh, fought in Europe, uh, the first ever war where digital assets, censorship-resistant digital money are at the core of the conversation, at least for people uh, who follow financial markets, uh, the role of cyber warfare, something that is still being sorted out. This is all very significant. Uh, the world here is changing before our eyes. One final point uh, would be to talk about particularly Bitcoin, Bitcoin rallying from about $38,000 uh, to $44,000. This is significant because it is the first time we've seen this reversal of this trend uh, where there's the, the correlation trade, the joke uh, in financial markets being that correlations go to one, everything trades risk on or risk off. Not so. What we are seeing now, in fact, uh, is Bitcoin rallying uh, on, on increased geopolitical risk. This is what uh, Bitcoiners in particular have been talking about for many years, uh, the idea that uh, off-the-grid digital assets would actually increase in value when there was risk to the global financial system. We're seeing that play out in real time here, Robin. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren uh, said, cryptocurrencies risk undermining sanctions against Russia, allowing Putin and his cronies to evade economic pain. U.S. financial regulators need to take this threat seriously and increase their scrutiny of digital assets. In the last show, we talked about specifically how very, very sophisticated the tools for analyzing blockchains and illicit so-called transactions are these days. I think Elizabeth Warren is kind of missing the point here. She's seeking to demonize cryptocurrencies without really understanding either the, the nature of the sanctions themselves or the nature of the blockchain that you, you cannot simply just flood the market with, with your assets you're trying to offload and, and nobody notice. It's just not the way it works. 
So I'm really curious what her, what her, what she's after here, what she's trying to say, because it ends up with her looking kind of foolish, to be honest. Cami, you, you, you had your hand up. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to point out uh, pre, um, uh, Ashley's point previously about Bitcoin rallying. I thought it was especially interesting that Bitcoin was um, rallying even more in uh, Ukrainian and Russian local exchanges. So there is a premium that is spreading in in uh, the Ukrainian local currency um, and in rubles uh, in in the Bitcoin price in in Russia and and Ukrainian exchanges locally, um, because there there is an increased demand from uh, from Ukrainians and Russians to to buy Bitcoin to protect their savings. I mean, we've seen how the ruble has massively depreciated in in the past couple of days and that is affecting everyday people in in russia who i mean you know we we shouldn't demonize everyday russians who have no no real kind of part in 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 this conflict and who are who are being affected by it um probably you know more more than uh most so uh bitcoin is is a way out uh, for them and that's reflecting in, in local exchanges, and so so are uh, people in, in Ukraine going to Bitcoin to protect uh, their, their savings, and that's re reflecting in, in that spread. And that's why Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren's um, statement is so foolish because it's you know sure like maybe maybe Russia can use crypto to avoid sanctions, but that's extremely unlikely. Um, because it's not like Russia will go through some like peer-to-peer -peer exchange if it wanted to avoid sanctions. Like it, it would have to go through like a major um, OTC desk or or a major centralized exchange to do that. And and those centralized places they they can enforce sanctions. Um, so you know it's like it, it's 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 very unlikely that Russia can effectively actually use crypto to avoid sanctions. But the people who can use crypto effectively to protect their savings are everyday Russians on the street. And so why would Elizabeth Warren want to like go against them? Um, that's exactly what crypto was is being used for now and, and why it's so important um, and revolutionary. It just gives people power over their, um, their money. So I think one of the arguments was that Russia would get around SWIFT by using some kind of cross-border payment system. And then everyone says, oh, well, of course you mean Ripple. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, That's going to work. never going to happen. So if, you, if you look at everything that Russia attempts to do to control its own narrative, to control everything that's going on, like a decentralized system is literally the last thing that they want. It's literally the last thing that they would ever want. So it, it just seems so illogical. Yeah. Um, as, as, as digital assets, that's good for them, but like decentralized networks, not so good for them. So whatever Russia ends up using instead of SWIFT, it, it definitely won't be crypto. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, Robin, if I could jump in, Cammy makes some uh, excellent points as always. Uh, just to put a little bit of color and context uh, around the premium. Uh, so right now, uh, Bitcoin, according to reporting by Coindesk, is trading at a 6% premium uh, against the uh, Ukrainian Hryvnia. Uh, this is UAH uh, is the currency code for this. Uh, obviously, these are things that most of us are just learning about for the first time who don't follow Eastern European currency markets. Uh, the premium, uh, that 6% premium that's been cited is being, uh, is being seen on Whitebit. This is the most popular uh, cryptocurrency exchange in Russia uh, and also used uh, by a fair number of Ukrainian uh, users as well. Uh, to get back to the Elizabeth Warren point, you know, you know, obviously individual politicians, uh, particularly um, um, folks who are not in the weeds with what's happening in crypto, occasionally uh, make statements that are, let's just say, a little bit of a mismatch with uh, reality in certain cases. But you know, not to pick on any one individual in particular. I think the broader point here, uh, Robin, is what I was alluding to at the top of the show, which is that we are seeing. Uh, this sort of enormous regime shift in the way that we think about uh, these core issues, uh, the nature of the money supply, sovereignty. Uh, these are some really significant changes that are happening. And it's very difficult uh, for folks who are embedded in the legacy system to understand precisely uh, what is going on here. So this is uh, an intergenerational challenge, I think, as we make these uh, shifts uh, from things like SWIFT uh, to digital assets. This is just a, a very significant and material change that we're seeing. Obviously, to echo some of uh, Cami's points, which I think are spot on, as always, uh, the challenge that that uh, Russia would have in evading sanctions regimes, uh, liquidity, connectivity, uh, in many ways, very difficult to do at scale uh, at the level of a nation state. I, I don't really think uh, that that is a, a significant risk right now. Uh, however, in a decade, is it possible that digital assets could allow uh, nation states uh, to avoid sanctions regimes, you better believe it. Uh, so it is something that I'm sure uh, folks in Washington, D.C., in policy circles, uh, in the Pentagon, at the Department of Treasury, are thinking about right now. Yeah, they, they often raise the specter of Iran's supposed Bitcoin mining facilities that are enabling them to get around sanctions. Um, that's definitely a story I would love to cover at some point, because I think it's genuinely really interesting. And, and you, you made the point that we're seeing these these brand new money supply paradigms coming through and one of the strangest things that i saw this morning i woke up to the news that the official ukrainian twitter account was announcing an airdrop what i mean they've been talking up a big game in terms of receiving donations in in eth and btc but this is such a crypto thing to do so the the the, the text is this airdrop confirmed snapshot will be taken tomorrow march the 3rd at 6 p.m. Kiev time. Follows subsequent news uh, regarding Ukraine's crypto donation campaign at Fedorov Mikhailo. Kami, can you first just explain what, what airdrops are and why they're such big things and why this is such a strange thing for it's the Ukraine so to announce? It's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so airdrops, I think, is, became popular with Uniswap in, when was it, 2020, end of uh, 2020? Yes. Um, yeah, so Uniswap airdropped the Uni token to everyone who had um, interacted with the uh, Uniswap DEX, uh, Decentralized Exchange. Uh, so it was like a retroactive airdrop rewarding those who had participated in the protocol. From then on, this has been very common in, I, I think, 
most um, DeFi and Web3 protocols, the way to launch a token is to give it away for free for the communities that have already been engaged in their platform. Um, and so you take a snapshot, it's like, it's like a, yeah, like a picture of the blockchain at a certain time to record all the addresses that are receiving an airdrop um, to have like a cutoff time. So all these terms are just like very, very crypto native, you know, like airdrop, snapshot, and for like an official like Twitter of a country to be using these terms, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very weird. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, um, that was the news uh, that, I, I mean, if, if you kind of take the, the way that crypto has been doing this as a model, um, I, I guess like everyone who has donated to Ukraine uh, would be part of this snapshot and then receive um, a, retroact a retroactive airdrop of, I don't know what, uh, to reward them for, for donating. That's kind of what I can deduce from from that tweet, though it doesn't give you know any details as to like what it's being airdropped or to whom um, and like what the snapshot is for, et cetera. But you can kind of assume that's that's what it's about. Well, the, well, the joke around airdrops is that they are you get worthless governance tokens, and the joke around this one is that you will get a worthless government tokens, which I think is pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, there's really no detail about what it's going to be. But what it did do was it stimulated a massive influx of funds to do donation accounts. So there's a net positive here. Even if it is just a, a meme and it's a worthless token, they have raised a lot more money. So, And I think when I checked this morning, it was around 7 million and just gone rushing in. But of course, these are just, you know, these are just airdrop mercenaries looking to, to hoover up um, the tokens. What was really interesting is I, that, that the accounts are open you can go and look at what's in the the wallets, but they've also got NFTs in there, and someone dropped a CryptoPunk into the Ukraine account. So the oh. Ukraine account that owns a CryptoPunk, it's valued around kind of two hundred and thirty-seven grand or something like that. This is wild, absolutely yeah. wild. Ash, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, you know, as as Cami said, for people who are relatively new to this space, uh, airdrops are a perplexing. Uh, topic. I think of it as uh, effectively a way for networks uh, to give uh, an ownership stake, a participatory stake to uh, people who have been involved in the network, who have participated in the network. I usually use the metaphor of Facebook. If you were an early uh, Facebook user, for example, you got bragging rights. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the uh, early founders, uh, the founders and the early uh, employees of that company got the equity. The idea of a token drop is to attempt to uh, bring in some of that, um, some of that ownership stake, uh, probably not a term they like to use because of the security aspect of it, but some economic interest in the network itself to the early users. Uh, I think the first token drop I got was ENS, Ethereum uh, name system, where you uh, name service, where you actually uh, were able to get some of those ENS tokens if you went and registered, for example, your name uh, as uh, as an ENS uh, name, and so. This idea that you have a, a sovereign government uh, doing a name drop, as as you know, kind of you guys both covered, we don't really know what that means yet. We don't really know uh, how that participation is going to happen. But uh, again, to Cami's point, this is very much a crypto native term, and it does sort of make uh, the broader point that I was uh, that I was hinting at earlier, which is we're just seeing a tremendous shift here uh, in the paradigms that are in play 
uh, in terms of the way um, governance, nation states uh, think about the world, this crypto native uh, aspect to it. Now, I, I know cynics will say this is uh, this is something that's very gimmicky, uh, but look, the reality is we are witnessing here in real time this shift being made uh, into the digital asset space, uh, and there's just you know no more sort of powerful and emotionally uh, loaded intense time to do that than during a time of war and conflict. So it is incredibly interesting to watch uh, how these things unfold and how it affects the broader digital asset ecosystem uh, that the three of us cover, Robin. Well, what's interesting here is that in the announcement, they say subsequent news regarding this donation campaign will be on Mikhailo Fedorov's account. So I went and looked at Mikhailo Fedorov. He's the Vice Prime Minister of Ukraine and Minister of Digital Transformation of Ukraine. He's been one of the loudest voices surrounding, you know, Apple, et cetera, shutting off services to Russia. And I mean, the weirdest thing I've seen today, I mean, there's been a lot of weird things. There's a campaign, this is from his account, where he says, everyone wants Putin to die. Until this happens, we give Ukrainians of the whole world a unique opportunity to send Putin to Jupiter donate $2.99 for a rocket, all funds will be directed to the restoration of the destroyed infrastructure. So you can you can go to the website, which is putler.io, and there's this weird animation of Putin in a rocket, and then you can donate $2.99. <clears throat> I don't even know what to make of this anymore. This is a young, this is a young guy, you know, handsome Ukrainian politician, part of a new breed, but like, can you... Can you say? I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm looking at anymore. The, like the meme, you know, the memification is, of everything is just is just off the off the charts now. And you have to remember, like Zelensky himself, um, he's he's an, a very kind of unorthodox politician. Like he was a comedian, um, and he created his own party. Like he's very like outside of the Ukrainian establishment, and he, you know, it was um, a, a very kind of like surprise win uh, for him he kind of like as i understand it came a little bit out of nowhere like this tv comedian um and as such like he and his team understand um communications very well and so they use it very very effectively they kind of connect with an audience they use humor um they you know they they they, they know memes they they're they're younger um and so yeah this conflict I don't, yeah, I don't think the world has seen anything uh, like it before. Just like using crypto for donations, uh, using memes, um, and, and just like being, and, and the way that we are consuming the news, it's just like on, on Twitter all day, it's like we're getting the stream of, of, uh, of what's happening in, in like minute to minute in a way that I don't think conflicts were previously uh, covered like I saw this tweet and like w just as this was breaking and somebody said okay where's where's the where's the Ukraine Russia stream at and it's like uh it it, 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 it it like I think everyone related to that because like we're so used to kind of like seeing everything real time and and like we kind of are uh, with this conflict and I think that's what's kind of inspired a lot of people to help, like with crypto donations. But not just that, like I was just seeing this report last night about how people in London are going to the Ukrainian embassy to enlist to fight. Um, just like not Ukrainians, you know, like people outside of Ukraine are actually going to fight 
Ukraine uh, because they've been inspired by this. Um, and yeah, I think just like the fact that we're seeing this play out so closely in real time is contributing to that. Hey, Robin, if you know, we've been talking about this on and offline about how baffling uh, this is to the three of us. We spend our lives in this space. Now imagine you're a 70 something year old senator, um, a career employee at the Department of State uh, or Department of Treasury, uh, and you're trying to digest all of this new information, understand what it means, understand what it means for the conflict, understand what it means uh, for your own national sovereignty. This is one of those moments that we're going to look back on uh, and see as an inflection point, uh, I think, where we started to see a transition uh, from, uh, the, from the old world to this new world uh, that the three of us live in and try and figure out every day of our lives. Yeah, certainly, certainly the case. You know, some of the, the big heroes of this space are probably a stone's throw away from being hackers like hackers who take down networks that take down. I mean, you know, there is a an anarchic idea in, in embedded in crypto that is very threatening. And yet, you know, in one single flip of a coin, they can become the heroes of a movement. And it's, it's really hard to know wh where you sit in all of this because there are such conflicting opinions. And, and I, I find myself pulled this way, that way, this way, that way. And the only thing I can do is try and read what the other side is saying. And even I don't know what the other side is anymore, but I've been trying to read, you know, what what was the US's role in 2014 in the Ukraine and how might that have got us here? And and then going back and remembering that Zelensky was involved in that ridiculously weird situation with Trump and Biden and trying to coerce the Ukrainian people. In. I mean, it was just bizarre. And I, I completely forgotten about it. And, and suddenly there it was, it's the same guy. And so you know, just trying to filter and sift the information is is proving overwhelming at times, I'll be honest. But I think it's time to let go of Ukraine and allow ourselves to be underwhelmed by some artwork in the shape of Pixelmon. Let me just shape this one up for you. If I gave you $70 million, would you give me crap artwork in return? And if you did, <laughs> what would the result be? So this is Pixelmon, which was one of these big hyped NFT projects, 10,000 pieces uh, for an art, for, for pixelated metaverse characters. And it's called Pixelmon. So the relation to Pokemon is obviously there. Uh, and these guys re released these NFTs. They sold them for, for quite a lot of money, you know, relatively speaking, you know, three ETH down to about 2.3 was the Dutch Ocean range. And then the art revealed, and it was just an absolute shit show. Just one of the worst things I've ever seen. And yeah, I mean, 70 million. So, so Cami, what's your, what's your take on this one? Did you, did you read through it? I did, like, I, I was just cracking up at seeing these NFTs pop up on my Twitter feed. I couldn't believe, you know, that this, this happened, um, that people paid $70 million for, the, for this, and this is what they get in return. Um, so a bit more context, uh, there was a Dutch auction, which means, uh, you know, the auction starts at a high price at 3 ETH, and then it starts uh, going, going down with time. Um, Dutch auctions are meant to, uh, if there's a lot of appetite for something, uh, you you kind of get uh, as much money as, as you can, um, you know, rather than having a flat price. If you start up with a higher price and 
you just capture all of the the demand that's in the market for for a project with a Dutch auction. So that's what they use, and the, with this, they were able to raise uh, seventy million. And NFTs were revealed after the the purchase. Um, so imagine like just spending a bunch of money, and then getting something that it 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 just like. It's hilarious how bad it is. Like people listening, just like go and like Google Pixelmon and just to, to get a laugh in, in this in just a, this serious situation that we're living in. Pixelmon is like a, a, a just like a breath of like <laughs> fresh air, I guess. Um, but it, it, I don't know. To me, it, it's like we've seen we, we've been seeing kind of like. Um, red flags in the nft space like so many scammers so many kind of uh, you know just like projects that aren't going anywhere cash grabs uh and you know pixelmon is being accused of being just that just um, a cash grab of, of course the founder says um they apologize it said it, it was unacceptable and that they are using the money raised to produce a um uh, an actual kind of better version of this and and a, a real game that people will be able to participate in and so who knows like um the jury's still out maybe they do deliver uh but you know what they've delivered so far is just hilarious it's beyond kind of underwhelming it's i i think i think though like this has potential to become like a cult classic you know, it's like, oh, I own one of the like botched uh, Pixelmon NFTs because they're just like so unbelievably ugly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's 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 a sign of where we're at uh, with NFTs, which we, we've talked about, about before, how um, they've been kind of late to uh, to fall along with the rest of crypto. Like yeah, crypto had a massive crash. Now it's rebounding. Um, but NFTs kind of like held up uh, relatively well uh, during the crash. And so, I don't know, it's, it seems like we still haven't seen an NFT market bust. And so we're still seeing examples like these of like projects uh, that ha like haven't even revealed the art yet, being able to raise 70 million. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's a little bit... It, it, it's incredible uh, that there's still this kind of hype in the market. Ash, did you, did you see these ISOs? I did, Robin. I think Cammy may be right. It may be sort of a, a cult thing, like a like a really campy horror film uh, where you can mm -hmm. uh, where you can see the director like dumping the blood from the top of the shot. You know, <laughs> we joke about it. It's it, it's amusing, but and and maybe this is something that. We say all the time, but it bears repeating about just how early it is in this space, uh, just how these uh, these are getting sorted out right now. Look, without regard uh, to any particular project, I think it's probably reasonable to say uh, that some of these projects are going to go to zero or near zero. Some of them could be breakout successes. Very hard to pick which are which at this early stage of the game. Uh, this is something that is obviously highly speculative. Uh, in the very earliest stages. And as we can see, occasionally uh, things misfire. With this particular project, we're going to see if they can get it back on track. Um, but this is just the nature of something uh, where you're you're basically you're basically looking at a, a project that's still in the effectively the, the laboratory phase, right? And sometimes the test tubes break. 
Uh, and that's what we're witnessing right now. I think this is a long way to go uh, before it's ready for prime time. But all that said, the kernel of the idea, uh, the power of NFT communities, this was interesting. They were going to do uh, this kind of real world RPG, uh, kind of like Pokemon, where you walk around the, the world and you physically discover uh, and uh, are able to pick up these NFT tokens. This is the kind of thing I think uh, Pokemon uh, surprised many people. Uh, it was really the first the first uh, mobile game that broke through and something that had a, a virtual reality, real world RPG framework. It was obviously a huge success at the time. Uh, what that looks like in the digital asset space, still yet to be seen, but a tremendous amount of promise here, sort of despite uh, the misfire, the miscue, uh, and some obviously derision that we saw uh, on uh, Twitter uh, and Discord and elsewhere. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There are so many talking points here. I mean, the first one is the, the Dutch auction. The last time we saw a project really hype up like this. It was um, the Lava Labs project MeBits. So there was a there was a Dutch auction there as well. And what, what tends to happen is people go, oh, I'm going to miss out, and then just pile in. So the Dutch auction is supposed to make price discovery happen in real time, and then you, you arrive at a price where everyone feels comfortable and you get some early buyers. But basically here, everyone just piled in. Everyone's searching for that next big unicorn moment. So that was one thing. And it's not their fault that they put it this way. The idiots who buy in, it's their fault. So I went back to look at what, what this project was promising. And then I see just a bunch of things that really just are troubling. So they, their vision was to create the largest and highest quality energy game the space has ever seen. They talked a big game like they wanted to be AAA. They wanted to create the first AAA quality game of the energy space. The thing that was really interesting, they released a demo. So you could download the demo and actually play it, which I did, and it was garbage. And it just brought home something that I've been exposed to recently a great deal, which is that there is a massive disconnect between the faith and belief that this space has about its context in the world of games, particularly video games, and where it really is at. We've been spending hours and hours and hours trying to make video inside a game engine, Unreal Engine being exposed to the vagaries of what it takes to actually do anything in a game engine. And it's really, really, really hard, like really beyond hard. Any idiot that's saying, yeah, we're going to make a AAA game is lying, first of all. And it's no wonder that the game industry hates NFTs, which they do with a passion. And, and I get it. I get it because they hear these crypto bros talking about how they're going to have interoperable assets and they're going to have these AAA games. It's nonsense. They're not. They're not. And if you want a Pokemon game, go and play Pokemon. There's a brand new Pokemon coming on, on the Switch, and it's going to be amazing. Go play that. There is absolutely 100% a place for real, genuine games. But I would be so skeptical of any team that doesn't have you know, 20 plus years of making games. And I spoke to a game developer this last week who said, yeah, a lot of the criticism around NFTs is correct, but also incorrect because you said as an indie game developer we get a really rough deal and right now we have this tiny opportunity to actually carve out a place for ourselves financially and subsist and create games 
with this NFT technology built in from the ground up. You can go and interrogate teams and ask them the hard questions, but unless they're giving you those kind of answers and telling you exactly why the NFT needs to be there, it's probably not worth bothering with. And so this project, 70 million, I have no faith in it at all. It's garbage, to be honest with you. And that doesn't mean that all, that all NFTs are garbage, but this one, genuinely, honestly, garbage. So there you go. <laughs> I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time I spent a lot of time trying to understand NFT haters' point of view. And to be honest, you know, they're kind of right. And it's not and, and like AAA games as well. Like they they've got huge problems at the moment because they keep trying to cram in microtransactions, and gamers are really pissed off with them with the big game companies because they keep delivering substandard games. So it's a really weird time for the game industry as a whole, and they definitely do not want NFTs. So, you know, long, long way to go. Yeah. But it's not this anyway. <laughs> so any, any last thoughts from, from both of you before we wrap this up? For me, like the story is obviously uh, Ukraine. It will continue to be Ukraine um, for a while, I think. Um, and it, it's just heartbreaking to see uh, what's happening. Uh, it's, it's baffling that we're, you know, it's 2022 and we're heading into, I mean, we're in war. In, in Europe. Um, and I think, you know, uh, for me, the, the, uh, the only encouraging thing that I see from, from our kind of where we're sitting and, and, and from our coverage is that crypto can actually provide an alternative for, for, uh, for those uh, on the ground uh, suffering, losing their savings, um, to a de depreciating currencies uh, who are affected by um, by sanctions and by uh, censorship and by uh, uh, problems with, with their bank. The crypto is actually working. Uh, it's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing. So I think that's that's encouraging and it just you know gives me um, even more optimism um, about the space uh, that we're in and uh, I'm I'm glad that we're here here kind of covering it and helping more people uh, know about this space and um, and how important censorless and permissionless money is. Well said. Ash. Well, you know, uh, as usual, Cami has said it very well. Top of mind, of course, is the civilians who are in harm's way right now uh, in Ukraine. Obviously, a, a very difficult time. Uh, for people who are trapped in this conflict, uh, particularly the civilians who were there, uh, who were being shelled and rocketed, incredibly difficult time. Uh, number two, I would say, you know, these big picture themes that we're talking about here, you know, when things are very close to you, uh, sometimes it's very difficult to get the big picture as we struggle to ask these questions about what does it mean uh, that the uh, nation of Ukraine is, is airdropping uh, tokens uh, to people who have donated. The, these big picture issues, the points that I made before, uh, how we see international relations shifting in the age of social media, the import of cyber war, and of course, uh, digital assets and censorship resistant money uh, in the age of war in Europe. These are huge themes. Uh, in fact, the bigger picture ideas, even bigger than that, the idea of sovereignty itself, decoupling of the money supply from the nation state, really the most significant change uh, or challenge, I should say, uh, to the dominant paradigm of nations organizing themselves uh, since uh, since the 17th century, since the Treaty of Westphalia, 
We see uh, people like Balaji Srinivasan talking about the uh, the network state uh, rising as a potential alternative to the nation state. These are obviously huge ideas that people are going to be talking about for years uh, and decades. Very big, hard to grasp ideas. We're trying to struggle with them uh, right now in real time, and it's very difficult to get hold on them. But these are conversations we're going to continue to, to have on Real Vision, I'm sure, on The Defiant. Uh, and, and these are challenges that we're all struggling to understand. Finally, third point, as you might imagine, an old markets guy to say, keep your eye on the price action. Uh, from a price action perspective, the interesting thing about what's happened, particularly with Bitcoin, is the decoupling of the traditional correlation trade here. The idea that during periods of geopolitical instability, the price of Bitcoin could rise rather than fall uh, when you see, for example, U.S. equities sell off. This is something new. This is something that Bitcoiners have been predicting for a long time. And we've seen it come to pass uh, right now with this conflict in Ukraine, Robin. So, yes, I, I guess the final thing to say is keep a broad diet of new sources. You know, try and get your information from more than one place, because I don't think there's any right or wrong answer in any of this stuff. And, you know, it's certainly baffling for me to try and encapsulate all of that, all the conflicting ideas in this constant state of cognitive dissonance. But I think if there's one thing that, as you said, Ash, that we, you know, there's a human cost to all of this, and we should always put that first. And on that note, we will think of everyone who is suffering this week, wherever you are in the world, whether it's in Syria or in the Ukraine or anywhere else in the world. And we hope you have a much better week in all of this. See you next time. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to Real Vision Crypto. For more great crypto content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.